Welcome back to Product Market Fit, a podcast about startups, growth, and apparently AI. I'm your host, Moshe Poltrak, and I couldn't be more excited to share this interview with you today. My guest, Alan Smithson, is an inventor, founder, and futurist. He co-founded Metaverse, that's spelled Meta, V-R-S-E, a company on a mission to enable Metaverse creation for all people. If you've been following Alan for years as I have, you'll know that he's always at the forefront of innovation and loves to share his wealth of knowledge and his passion for emerging technologies. Today, we talked about the metaverse and its associated technologies and how AI is changing the landscape for virtual reality and augmented reality. Alan shares his vision for the future across many vectors, and he provides practical guidance for founders and brands thinking about how to incorporate the metaverse into their strategies. We also covered some of the same questions that I discussed on last week's episode with AI ethicist Dr. Reed Blackman, So if you haven't listened to that episode, I definitely encourage you to do so. I promise to get back to our regularly scheduled programming about growth and product market fit, but I find these explorations absolutely fascinating and hope you do too. I'd love to hear from you whether you enjoy these technology deep dives as much as I do and any other feedback on how I can improve this show. Please reach out to me at hello at pmfpod.com or find me on LinkedIn or Twitter. A couple more housekeeping items. In this episode, Alan references several visuals during the discussion. I promise it will still make sense when listening, and I will link to the resources in the show notes. However, for the full experience, I encourage you to watch the interview on our new YouTube channel, at PMFPod. A quick reminder that we're still running the book giveaway, so go ahead and leave a review of the show if you want signed copies of Dr. Blackman's Ethical Machines, Build What Matters by Rajesh Nerlikar, and Eli Schwartz's Product-Led SEO. Don't forget to share the review on Twitter or LinkedIn and tag me, at Moshe P, to be eligible to win. There will be multiple winners, so good luck. Terms and conditions apply. With regards to definitions, there are a lot of new technologies discussed, and I ask Alan to explain many of them, but I wanted to define a couple of them here. SLAM stands for Simultaneous Localization and Mapping, and is a technique used in robotics and computer vision to create a map of an unknown environment while tracking the robot's location. In the metaverse, SLAM can be used to create immersive virtual environments that respond to users' movements and interactions in real time. A nerf is not what you shoot at your brother, but rather it refers to neural radiance field technology, a cutting-edge method of using AI to create 3D scenes based on a partial set of 2D images. The Product Market Fit podcast is brought to you by Growth.co. That's growth without the O.co. Growth offers fractional CMOs paired with best-in-class digital marketing execution to support early-stage startup success. With a focus on seed and Series A companies, Growth has helped a number of SaaS, digital health, and e-commerce startups build their go-to-market function and scale up. To learn more and book a free consultation, go to growth.co. That's G-R-W-T-H dot C-O. Now, I'm thrilled to present Alan Smithson. Alan, welcome. I am really excited to talk with you today. Well, thanks so much. I'm really excited as well. This is going to be a great time. Absolutely. So to set the foundation for our audience, we can start with some definitions. What is the metaverse? So the metaverse, in my definition, is basically the internet that we have today. And then you add some technologies. And in fact, I just wrote this article, Practical Guide to AI in the Metaverse, because AI is on everybody's mind right now. But the way I define the metaverse is the current internet that we have, plus some technologies, plus XR or 3D, being able to have a 3D version of something, maybe it's a product spinning or being able to walk into almost like a video game, but on the web, right? So you're now, instead of having a scrolling website, you can go into it. The next phase is a blockchain. So you can have what they're calling Web3. 
the ability to own digital assets and trade them in a public space. So maybe I'm in one world and I want to you know, trade it to somebody else for another thing. So that's the blockchain aspect. You also have you know, decentralized ledgers, DAOs, digital land, and smart contracts as well, making up that technology. And then the last one is obviously on everybody's mind right now is artificial intelligence, conversational AI creation. So text to basically anything, text to video, audio, text to text, text to images, all of this is happening really quickly. And so AI for creating 3D objects using NERFs and also other deep learning aspects for that, computer vision, you know, your cameras knowing where the ground is. Um, so all these technologies together make up the metaverse. And the metaverse is a persistent virtual world. So kind of like a website is a persistent place where you go and get information, but you'll go and be inside of it, whether you're doing that from a telephone or from a smartphone, from a computer, desktop, laptop, a tablet, or in virtual or augmented reality. So all of these technologies use the same way to create 3D holograms. And so there's actually a new metaverse standards forum that came out. There's over 2,000 companies part of this. And the idea is to try to standardize that. Because right now, if I want to send you a JPEG, let's say, I just send you a picture. I just send you a JPEG and your phone knows what to do with it. And my phone knows what to do with it. And we can see it and it looks the same. But 3D is a little bit different. It has a shape to it. It's fully 360 or fully 3D. And then it also have multiple layers of JPEGs on top of it or multiple layers of texture files on top. So it's not as easy as just you know trading something back and forth one image. It's multiple images precisely put around a 3D object. So we're starting to really get into the nitty gritty of how all of this stuff starts to work together. So I'm very excited about that. And that's um, really my definition of the metaverse. The internet that we have plus AI, XR, and the blockchain. The intersection of all three. It really is. Just to dive further into some of the terms that you introduced there, XR, I've seen it used as both a catch-all for all of the kind of X being the placeholder R, and as well as being used specifically for mixed reality, so AR, augmented reality, plus VR, virtual reality. What's the standard definition, or is there a standard definition? Can you kind of parse those terms? Sure. So because there's so many people using R, virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality, XR, I wrote this thing called the ABCs of R. But the idea is that XR is a catch-all term for all of it. And really what it is, is 3D, kind of like video games and stuff like you can walk around in. So 3D is part of it. Then you have virtual reality where you wear goggles that occlude your entire world. Then augmented reality, maybe you're using your phone to you know show digital aspects. So like Pokemon Go or Ikea's Place app. Things like that, or even on, on the other side where you're using the camera to face to yourself and putting you know bunny ears on yourself or something like that for Snapchat. Uh, Snapchat filters, by the way, have done over a trillion snaps in AR. Snapchat is the leading company in AR in the world. And then the last one is MR or mixed reality. And that's where you know HoloLens or Magic Leap where you put on the glasses and instead of using your phone for AR, you're using a look around and it, it uses front-facing cameras and advanced SLAM algorithms or simultaneous location and mapping algorithms to understand where the floor is, where your furniture is, where the walls are, so that when you project data, it does it in the right way. So, you know, maybe the Pokemon can be high behind your chair, right, and hang off the chair. It starts to use the geometries of the world around you to portray data. And Apple has been really making big steps with this. And using the, they have a LiDAR scanner in both the front and back facing cameras of the phones. And the reason for that is to be able to map out the world around you. So you know how Google Maps mapped out the entire outside world? 
there's going to be a race to map the entire inside world as well. And so I think by 2030, we'll have a, a map of almost every interior space in the world. And that map will then be able to be created as a digital twin as a metaverse. Is that, am I yeah. understanding that correctly? You'll be able to bring that into any virtual world. So you'll be able to, within a few minutes, take your phone, walk around your house, and then hit publish, and you'll be able to go in a virtual world anywhere in the world into your house and have a meeting with somebody in wow. any space, really. We're very close to that. There's a new technology called NERFs or neural radiance fields. You can just use video from your phone, and it interpolates everything using AI, like advanced uh, algorithms, to just fill in the blanks and say, okay, well, we know enough data to make this a 3D version of that, and it is getting really good. So you can literally walk around your house for five minutes with a video, it will create what's called a nerf or this neural radiance field. It'll create a 3D object where you can go and put on goggles or walk around on your phone and you can be anywhere. There's, there's a, about half a dozen ways that you can create 3D. Photogrammetry is one where you take a bunch of pictures, uses AI to stitch them all together and creates a 3D object. That's the most accurate. Then you have nerfs, which are getting accurate. It takes a video. Then you've got just 3D modeling people, people designing it on a CAD for, you know, maybe they want to design a factory or something like that or a building or an office tower or condo, whatever. Then you've got people just designing for games. You know, Maybe you want to build a virtual world for a game or something where it doesn't have to exist in the real world. So it's not a digital twin of anything. It's its own thing. And the next level of that is really going to be around AI creating these things for you. So you'll be able to say, uh, hmm, I want to have a room that is uh, 15 by 17. It's got six windows, five doors. It's got a palm tree in the middle and there's five birds flying around and it will create it for you. This is where it's heading. I've seen early demos of it. And while they're not overly convincing yet, they're kind of really early. But we saw that with early days of VR and early days of game engines, I mean, they're going to advance really quickly. It's just an exploding field with so many technologies. And to answer your question, XR is the catch-all for all of these types of things. That's wild. We're rapidly approaching being able to create 3D virtual worlds, if you will, in a similar way that we're interacting now with ChatGPT or MidJourney and those kind of bots. Anything dot world. Oh yeah, I've come across them. Yeah. It's Super very early. Like it's very you know low poly. It looks like you know looks like Google Poly type level stuff. It's very basic, but but you can see where it's going. Like it works, yeah. and you're like, okay, you know, people don't realize that ChatGPT and you know even Stable Diffusion and MidJourney. These are multiple layers in. They're not, you know, it's not brand new. Midjourney didn't just pop out of nowhere. They had decades of classifying what is a cat, what is a dog, what is a you know chicken, and then okay, from classifying to making it, to then having humans say no, that's not it. That's why in your captchas, I don't know if you've ever you know done where you go to a website and it asks you for a captcha and it says identify the six bicycles in this thing. And so you're clicking that and you're actually training AI. That's a human way of training AI. So yeah, the guy who made the CAPTCHA went on to sell that company and then made ReCAPTCHA. So very exciting time to be alive. Yeah. So within each of these, where are we along the hype cycle curve? So if you're familiar with like the Gartner hype yeah. cycle, everything kind of has a lot of buzz around it and then it goes into the trough of disillusionment and then you reach plateau of productivity. You know, I remember AR being all the rage more than 10 years ago, Google Glass came out and then it went into the background and VR had you know a lot of buzz and fizzled out a little bit or went away from the spotlight. Where are each of these technologies currently? So if you kind of look at Gardner's hype cycle, this is what it looks like here. You have a trigger, something gets invented, and then you have this huge uphill battle to get people to adopt it. And so 
virtual reality was here, let's say in 2011, let's say 2011, 2012, you know, the invented VR or the, you know, the new version of VR, let's say. I mean, before that, it was decades of people working on the, the underlying technologies. But let's say modern tech VR started 2011, 2012, right? So you had this hype curve, and then all of these investors piled in billions of dollars, magically raised $3.6 billion. All this hype was going on. And then you have this crash. Magically loses all its money. Investors lose a ton of money. And then what happens is you come out of the slope of enlightenment into a plateau of productivity. And the idea with this is that it actually starts to be used for stuff. And so now I think we're right here with VR, let's say, right as we're coming out of the slope of enlightenment, where like VR is being used for training at scale already. Many, many companies are using It's being used for design review. It's being used for uh, meetings. You know, Accenture is onboarding, recruiting and training uh, thousands of people using VR. They give them a VR headset. They meet them in a virtual version of the actual place because now they're able to hire talent from anywhere in the world and make them feel like they're part of something bigger. And they've built a whole virtual thing they call the nth floor. So I think this is just the beginning of that, but it's useful and it's being it's being used. Same with AR. You know, AR is being used right now for makeup try-on at scale. So like if you have a makeup company and you don't have AR virtual try-on, you're not going to be in business very long. There's a company called Perfect Corp that does this. And Perfect Corp is a great example of how they've been able to use AR for virtual trying of jewelry, watches, makeup. And you know, you look here, they've got a business and a consumer. And you go over to the consumer, they've made some apps where you can try on virtual, you know, different colors of your hair for, you know, maybe I want to try what my hair would look like in purple or pink or green or whatever. And then on the business side, they're more looking at where does the consumer meet the brand and can we give the consumer another tool to help them maybe with their skincare or to choose the right shade that's going to look good on them. And so you can imagine the amount of tech that went on into that to make this all work. Look, here's a glasses try-on, live try-on, see if it's mm-hmm. going to work, see if it doesn't wreck what we're doing. It's funny, here. I remember working on glasses try-on technology in 2010 and 11, and <laughs> it didn't work so well back then, but it's amazing what can be done now. Well, let's see if it works now. I don't know either. Oh, there it goes. Oh, there. Ah, oh, that's pretty good. Awesome, right? Yeah, let's try these ones on. How you doing? I like the first ones better. Yeah. <laughs> Over the web. Think about that. that right. Think of where we've come with this. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And, and so, that's without any specialized equipment. To, to answer your question, I think some of the technologies, depending on the use case, but the actual technology, virtual reality is already being used at scale. Augmented reality is being used at scale. I don't think the mixed reality glasses like the HoloLens and the Magic Leap, they're not being used at a massive scale yet. So I think they're still coming out of that trough. And then Apple just you know saying that they're going to delay their AR glasses. Augmented reality on glasses for displaying things in the real world in the right way, it's a hard problem to solve. Like you're talking physics problems, trying to get small lenses on a thing that has to be super lightweight, has to be powered all day. There's a whole bunch of problems with that. Spatial audio needs to, you know, sound needs to come from the right places. All of that needs to be jammed into a pair of glasses that people want to wear. So really hard problems. And we're getting into like the limits of physics. So it's not a will problem. It's a physics problem at this point. And I think we'll get there. Uh, we're very smart people. And now we're in this kind of virtuous cycle of technology where AI is being used to design better chips. And those better chips are being used to power AI, which is being used to design better chips. And you get this circle of rapid advancement. The power of AI is doubling uh, every six months, which is a lot faster than Moore's Law. So we're going to see a, an absolute explosion of technologies in what well, we already are but it's only going to get larger in the next, uh, by the end of this decade, we won't recognize the current day. 
let's come back to that in a little bit. I'm, I'm curious about your vision for the future and what you see happening, because I agree with you. I think that the changes that are happening now are just seismic. explosion it, it, yeah. to world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. And they can um, be, listen, we can uh, use them to create equality and a wonderful life for every human on this planet, all 8 billion of us. And we'll peak out probably 9 billion, maybe nine and a half, but it'll start to go down. And, you know, capitalism was designed around constant growth of people. When we start to decline in population, it doesn't mean that capitalism has to decline. It doesn't mean that you know, everything that we're doing has to decline. We just need to distribute it a little bit better and give everybody a better life. And, you know, China pulled a billion people out of poverty. We've been able to do this around the world and give people a better life around the world. And there's no reason why we can't do that using these technologies. So anyway, thought I'd put that in there. So let's uh, follow that thread. I was going to save it for the end, but since we're in it, let's talk about what that future might look like. Sure. One of the optimistic cases that we're entering an age of abundance, right? AI allows everything to get more efficient, more abundant, and everybody benefits off of that. But there's another way of looking at it without being too dystopic, where AI has replaced most jobs and people without a job or a need for working to produce income, they are without meaning and inevitably will go fill their time, fill their days with um, usually drugs and entertainment is kind of the go-to, you know, whether you think of like a, you remember the movie WALL-E where everybody's, you know, strapped into the metaverse and drinking some sludge. That's what these these visions of the future sometimes look like. So why are you optimistic and, and what do we need to do today, tomorrow, over the next few years to ensure that we're going down that path of a optimistic future with AI, with these technologies, as opposed to, you know, everybody just plugging into the metaverse and letting the robots do all the work? Well, I think maybe letting robots do a lot of the work is not a bad thing. I mean, we, we have done a great job at replacing jobs with machines where human life is at risk. We built robots to you know, dig mines, for example. We send robots down to do a lot of that. A lot of it's autonomous now. Did we you know, create more jobs in the process of that? Yeah, a lot more jobs. And do people really want to be there with a pickaxe and shovel? You know, we created industrial farming that feeds 8 billion people. Did it put farmers out of work? Yeah. Did they have to find other means of work? Yes, but that's how we evolve. And we as a species have always evolved. The problem that we have now is that some of these changes took hundreds of years, right? You know, we went from farming to having combustion engines to having electricity and factories. These things took 50 years, 100 years, you know, 20. And then the problem is the scale is getting shorter and shorter, right? So where we had, let's say, 30 years to get used to be working on computers, we had less than 20 years, to, well, 15 years, let's say, to get used to working on mobile phones. And we'll have even shorter amount of time to get used to AI. I mean, ChatGPT hit a million users in five days. It's the fastest growing consumer app ever. They just announced that they hit 100 million within a month. <sighs> It's just unbelievable numbers. Like, this is the problem. The problem isn't that we won't adapt. The problem is that these technologies will change our fundamental way of working together and our constructs with life faster than we're used to, than we're able to change for this. Our education systems are woefully inadequate to deal with this. You know, I just read in New York State is banning AI from the education system. That's like saying, okay, we're going to ban all calculators from schools. Well, okay, so then the people in the world that have calculators are always going to be ahead of us? This is insane. 
we have these tools now. They are part of everyday life. They're available to every human right now. Let's figure out how to use them to leverage that. When I first learned about JetGPT, I stayed up all night. Oh my God, I was like a crack addict. I was literally, oh my God, will it do this? Will it do that? I was making charts. I was getting it to give me you know, top 10 lists. Da, 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 da. Made it made all these things. I spent the whole night, stayed up all night. And the last thing I did was I sent my, my daughters a note. And I said, you're never writing another essay again. Use this. And then I also said underneath, but make sure you understand what you're submitting before you submit it. And so my advice to them was leverage this new tool because it is going to blow up. This was on, this is November. It was the first day ChatGPT came out and it just literally blew my absolute mind. And so, you know, when you see stuff like that, then you're just like, it's going to be here. It's already here. How do we prepare people for that? And my long term goal has always been to build a new education system that uses the technologies as they come online to give better, more personalized, uh, more distinctive learning, but not learning in terms of like, how do I you know, build something? I can go to YouTube. How do I fix something? How do I do this? What we want to do is really prepare the next generations of mindset for this rapid iteration and change in everything that we know. So how do you prepare humanity for the exponential growth of everything? And the only way is to leverage the technologies that we're creating right now to create a personalized learning system that is right for that person. So instead of taking people's data and trying to sell them more junk they don't need, we want to take their data and sell them more education that they need for themselves. But instead of selling it to them, we want to pay them for it. So as you learn, you get paid to learn. And it's really around creating a new construct of, of learning and education. We got it wrong when we started to charge people for education. If you want humanity to be a, you know, a multi-planetary species and we want to you know, live the absolute best possible future outcome of humanity, education needs to be not only free, but paid. It's got to be. And you know, every major society that has been on top has invested heavily in education over the years. The problem is these systems are really locked in and they're hard to change now. And with, you know, with the rapid advances of AI and technologies like XR and blockchain, these things are happening overnight. NFTs you know, and blockchain created $3 trillion out of thin air in the less than five years. Became an industry overnight. Uh, you know, the schools are like, oh, uh, well, what's a blockchain? And so, at what level do we start teaching AI? In China, it's grade five. So the rest of the world is going to be a little bit behind it. I'm smiling because I had a similar reaction when I first learned about ChatGPT and talking to my daughter about it. And I was just hanging out with my nieces and nephews and telling them, you know, they're some of them are in high school or around that age. I'm like you got to be spending all of your time learning how to be human and learning how to work with AI. Yep. That's, that's what you should be doing. Don't bother with all of the mindless tasks that we've been doing for the last 50 years on computers. That's not worth your time. ChatGPT yeah, can code. It can answer questions. It can code in any language. You know, it, it, everything it does right now, and I've tested it to a lot of limits, it does it about a grade 11 level. So it's not that smart. No, no offense to grade 11s, but you don't have a lifetime of experience and you can only learn so much by the time you're you know, 15 or 16. The problem is ChatGPT is only four months old and it's based on GPT-3, which GPT-4 is roughly, what, 1,000 to 10,000 times more powerful? I don't know. I have to take a look. But it's going to be at least one order of magnitude larger, maybe several. So, you know, <laughs> it's going to get smart. It just ChatGPT just passed the LSATs, the MCATs, and the SATs with flying colors. Yeah. Are we going to need... 
lawyers? Yes. Is AI going to replace a vast majority of them? Absolutely. Um, same with physicians in things like radiology and dermatology. AI already destroys teams of doctors. Like in where it takes a team of doctors twenty hours to you know identify a certain number of you know things. It takes them the AI thirteen seconds. It's bonkers. With a higher degree of accuracy. Yeah, instead of sixty degrees, is like 90 percent accurate. It's yeah. just honestly, we're in a renaissance right now, and we just need to rethink the entire systems of how we do things, from education to healthcare to uh, to computer programming. All of these things need to be rethought from the ground up, and the way we teach people has to evolve faster than. You know, we're still using a number four pencil, sitting people in rows, which is fine, but we need to also expose them to what's happening and not just, you know, get your knowledge from TikTok, which is a good source for some knowledge too, but mostly it's doom scrolling. Oh, and by the way, the Chinese government is a major owner in ByteDance and may or may not, and I don't know, but may or may not be collecting data on the users of TikTok. If I were them, I would use it to train AI. Well, they've already uncovered several instances where they were intentionally harvesting data on U.S. citizens. So it's not that much of a conspiracy theory to believe that. Imagine China's training their students on AI in grade five and up and harvesting the world's data to train it from deep learning mm-hmm. aspects. Who's going to win the arms race of AI? Even though right. America's banning chips and stuff like this, they're trying to st- stop the problem. But one, one thing that I read, it was crazy. They did a ranking of five jobs. And one was, you know, like an astronaut, engineer, doctor, and one was like an influencer. And in America, the number one job was influencer. In China, it was astronaut. And they were literally, the lists were flipped. In what kids wanted to be. Yeah. In a survey of children, yeah. Yeah, and most of them in America wanted to be an influencer because why wouldn't you? It's pretty awesome. I get to fly around the world with a camera. But, you know, it's like anything else. The top 1% is the top 1%. It's just the nature of things, you know. You can right. You can be an influencer, but you have to dedicate your entire life to that. And people don't realize that too. So you can be the best at anything in the world you want, but you got to dedicate potentially several years, maybe a decade, to it. The you mentioned before the time horizons and you know the industrial revolution played out over about a hundred years. This AI revolution is happening measured in, in months, not in years or decades. ChatGPT was released in November. Google just today, as we're recording, is releasing BARD as a response to that. Three and a half months for one of the largest corporations in the world to completely overhaul their multi-hundred billion dollar flagship product in response to an emerging technology is unheard of. And these changes are going to be not just technology changes, societal changes, everything. Uh, what happens when we can 3D print anything, but at a molecular level? And you know, you have the if you've ever watched Star Trek, you have the replicator, right? You say, I want a right. steak dinner, and it just, and I want, I need a metal wrench made out of this material so it doesn't break. You know, ah, we're, we're maybe a decade away from that, maybe two. But I mean, that's 20 years to having a replicator in your house. Like, we're, we're able to do things at a molecular level now. They're starting to look at, okay, because we're reaching the end of Moore's Law and how small we can make transistors and how many we can pack on a silicon wafer. The problem is that you know, we're getting to the, you know, the one nanometer. It's, it's tiny. You can't really make it smaller than that. Maybe you can get half of that, half a nanometer. But what we can do is we can stack them, 3D. So now they're, they're working on how do you stack these things in in three dimensions so that you don't have a wafer with all these transitions. You have wafers stacked. And we're 
you know, using AI to create new or not create, but invent and discover new materials all the time. You know, we're able to, because heat is always the biggest problem with computing. So how do you get heat down and how do you make batteries that last forever? And like, you know, and if we can figure this whole thing out with power generation, that's the one thing that we're still stuck on is, you know, the oil companies really do hold a lot of sway. But if we can make nuclear a little bit more. Fusion energy coming up. Maybe not. Let's say fusion may be here in a decade, maybe 20, but we need something now. You know what we have now? Nuclear. And we have modern nuclear reactors that are the size of a small house. They don't need to be, you know, several football fields, a small house can power a thousand houses and they're distributed. So you never have a risk of one kind of causing this catastrophic thing. All of the failures we've had in nuclear, those reactors were designed in the 50s, 1950s. You don't think we've come up with some better technology in 70 years? So I think we once we harness the ability to use nuclear at scale quicker, faster, and getting it into smaller reactors where they can be distributed and put into places like, you know, you could go into Africa and drop a nuclear reactor, which will now give you unlimited water because you can pump it out of the ground, you can desalinate water, you can, you know, when you have unlimited power, you have unlimited potential. And so that's got to be solved. But once that's solved with AI, You've already seen what we can do when you know Bitcoin mining became profitable. We designed all sorts of ways to harness power. There's a documentary coming out from a friend of mine, Alana, and she's making a documentary called Dirty Coin because everybody thinks you know Bitcoin's so bad for the environment, which if you look at it the other way, more energy innovation has come out of Bitcoin than the last 30 years because it was required. There's a guy taking... You know, the fire that comes off of a, a, jack, a pump jack, there's always a bit of fire. They just take the extra gas and burn it. Takes the energy from that and powers a Bitcoin mine beside it. Like, ingenuitive things that we've been just wasting. So I think there's going to be, the next decade is going to be a real decade of innovation and also really getting good at stuff. You know, I read once that manufacturing is still only about 75% efficient. So creating that to 90% efficiency that's going to be incredible. You know, going from 75 to 90 is huge. And then, you know, that 90 to 99 is the hard part. And that last 1% is the real challenge. But once we can get to efficient manufacturing of things and just on-demand everything, a replicator would do that, right? You just have a replicator in your house and you don't order Amazon and have it delivered. Amazon just, you order it on Amazon or wherever, whatever the new thing is, and it prints in your house. So, or prints down the street and gets delivered to you, right? Or your vertical farming. Maybe, you know, we take older malls that are going out of business. We create vertical farms where you build a community of people growing their own food again. Maybe we don't need to work five days a week. And uh, in my case, six or seven, but maybe we don't need to work this much. Maybe we can work three days a week and spend more time doing entertaining things, teaching our kids, spending more time as family. Maybe that is what humanity is all about. And you look at Italy and you know, south of Spain and France, and these people take a lot of time with their family. They get, you know, they work a couple hours, then they have lunch, then they have a nap, and then they work a couple hours, and then they go have nice long dinners with their family. Nothing's ever rushed. Maybe we, you know, maybe we can slow it down a bit by using the technology to fill in the work gaps. I like that. Me too. Positively putting that out of the world. Please make that happen. I want Star Trek, not Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we just released actually an interview with an AI ethicist mm-hmm. on the podcast, and we talked about similar questions and issues. And one of the things that I asked was, you know, what's the role of corporations versus government in addressing these 
changes in society. For example, Sam Altman claims that OpenAI is the largest funder of a UBI, mass-scale UBI experiment, universal basic income. Mm-hmm. Is it the responsibility of these corporations that are developing the AI technologies that are going to displace workers to solve or introduce solutions for those workers, for the population? Or is it the government's responsibility or who needs to step um, up? That's a great question. I think governments are definitely responsible for regulating it. I think that's 100%. So I just did a presentation called The State of Metaverse. And the standards, here's a kind of a look at XR, blockchain, and AI from a regulatory standpoint. XR standards, so who's going to make the standard for 3D for the world? The Metaverse Standards Forum, Kronos Group, there's a couple of other groups working on this. There's 2,000 companies getting together to try to figure out, okay, is it an OBJ? Is it an FBX? Is it a GLTF? Do we use USDZ? What are the formats? How do we do it? How do we, can we use multiple ones in a game engine? So when I publish something in Unity or I publish something on the Metaverse engine, it all looks the same. So if I, you know, if I go here and I turn this thing here and I go on Walmart's site and have something like this, that all looks the same. So that's from a stand, 3D standards. From a regulation standpoint, and I think this should be an independent group like this from a standards group. It shouldn't be a government oversight. From a regulation, for example, let me just read this to you. This was the first paragraph of the White House first ever comprehensive framework for responsible development of digital assets. This is a framework they released September 16th in 2022. Millions of people globally, including 16% of adult Americans, have purchased digital assets, huge amount, which reached a market cap of $3 trillion globally last November. The May crash wiped out over $600 billion of investor and consumer funds. We need regulation in these things. Same thing with AI. This is from the Office of Science and Technology Policy at the United States. Blueprint for an AI Bill of Rights, making automated systems work for the American people. And I love how they say the American people, but it should be for everybody. Among the great challenges posed by democracy today is the use of technology data, and automated systems in ways that threaten the rights of the American public. Algorithms used in hiring and credit decisions have been found to reflect and reproduce existing unwanted inequities or embed new harmful bias and discrimination. We know these are problems now, and it has to be up to the governments to save us from ourselves because corporations are built with one thought in mind, and that's profit. And governments have the best interests of the people or supposed to be. And I do believe that most governments do want to do what's best for their people. Anyway, so I think governments for regulation, I think from standardization standpoint, we do need that. I wrote an article called The Metaverse Manifesto. And the idea was to just create some guiding principles for a better Web 3.0 or a better metaverse. I talk about the unintended consequences of technology. And then also some of the guiding principles. It needs to be open, universal, and interoperable. Technology standardizations, obviously. So those two would be you know, around a standardization body. Human first, this is from a, the creator standpoint. Diversity is essential. We can't just live in a bubble and say, you know, we're only white American males are doing this. Respect for everyone equally. Honesty and openness. Decentralization and global governance, not just an American point of view, but around the world. China's got their version of it. Germany, every country around the world's got this. And I think we need to really take the overarching principles of humanity and put them, apply them to this because AI is going to be a global power. It already is instantly. Transparency and accountability, fair exchange of value, relentless pursuit of truth, data, sovereignty, governance, and privacy. These are very important issues. 
I believe personally that technology can solve the world's challenges and we need risk-taking investments in the future surrounded with regulations. I'm going to put the links to all of these resources in the show notes. So definitely encourage people to read further on this. Um, Alan, you co-founded a company called Metaverse. What does the company do and what's your role there now? Sure. Metaverse is an award-winning, web-based, low-code, real-time 3D creation platform for the future of human communication, collaboration, commerce, and culture. And we really serve the needs of customers in, right now, it's enterprise customers, but eventually it will be everybody in the intersection of training, marketing, and retail. But our mission is really Metaverse creation for everyone. Our goal is to create a creation platform that lets everybody build these things. So, you know, one of the reasons why these are important is because you can have, from a marketing standpoint, you have increased conversion rates. From a, a training standpoint, you can have in, increased productivity. You can have better buying experiences for customers. But also, you can start to build all sorts of cool stuff. So here, for example, I've got, I've got an experience in 3D. I can make a cube here. And you, know, you can start to make things. And of course, it's all web-based. It's all running in a browser. And I can make this you know, a full project-based thing. And what that might look like is something like this where we actually just won Best Advance in Education delivered through technology for our work with our partner Siemens Healthineers. And this is a, an example of what you can do using our system to create a full training scenario. And how are folks doing it today? What's the alternative? Is it using so, Unity? or Yeah, Unity and Unreal are the alternatives, but neither one of them work on the web. And so if you wanted to do this, you would have had to download an app, either on your desktop or your phone, and then run it from an app. Everything we do is running out of a browser. So now I can have you know multiplayer experience with just sending people a web link and you can have a store. It doesn't have to be just a training experience. It could be a full virtual world. Maybe we go and you know go shopping. We're building this thing called the mall. The mall is it's the mall.io and it's going to be the world's largest virtual mall. Each floor will be a million square feet and there's a hundred floors. So it's a hundred million square foot experience. And you can come in here with your friends. You can, you know, do chat as well. And then, of course, you can go in and, you know, start to see products really up close in ways that you couldn't do on a 2D website. What is, you mentioned the 100 million square feet. Mm-hmm. What does the footprint matter in the metaverse? Ah, that's a great uh, question. You know, digital real estate has Love been, it. you know, people are purchasing it in the, on the blockchain. Why does proximity matter? It doesn't. And I think, you know, things like Decentraland and Sandbox, Sandbox is a game, so it'll always be there. But Decentraland, just having a place that has a fixed map, that's not the metaverse. The metaverse is never ending and expanding. And for us, the mall is actually the center spawning point of an infinite virtual world. The reason why the mall has a value and the rest of the infinite virtual world can just be teleported to is because if you want to enter that virtual world, you have to enter through the mall. And the only way to have people enter in through the mall is if you own a floor or you own a space in there, you can have them drive, you can drive people the mall dot, I don't know, insert brand, and they can land directly into that store and they'd be in your store. And then in order they can leave and then go into the virtual world. And from there, they can just pull up the coordinates or address where they want to go and they can go anywhere. But we created the mall in order to fund that, you know, the ongoing building of an infinite virtual world. Something has to pay for that. So having a hundred million square foot retail center seemed like a good way to fund an infinite virtual world. So that's driving basically discovery, brand discovery. Yep. Yeah, and it's not. It's going to be less around e-com. You know, they're not going to go there and just scroll for something. And you know, you know, I need a pair of blue socks. It won't be like that. It'll be like brands having a presence 
we're working with a candy brand, which we'll be launching soon. And they're building this whole virtual world around the candy and you can go and experience it. You can build your own, you know, little experience. It's going to be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And that'll be coming out uh, later this year in the mall. So yeah, the exper- experiential side of it is really interesting. And some brands are already doing a lot of interesting yeah. things there. You know, Nike, Nike Land is crushing it yeah. in Roblox, I think, or Nike World. I can't remember what it's called, but also Walmart has a, a Walmart. Swoosh, yeah. yeah. And brands are really experimenting with this. And the brands who experiment now will be the one, the leaders of tomorrow. It's just, it's always been the way. If you stick your head in the sand and ignore the technologies that are here and you just forget about it, you're not going to be successful, to be honest. You're going to so go bring this fascinating marketing. discussion into practicality for our audience. What should brands and retailers be doing today or thinking about today as it relates to these technologies? So I think one thing you need to think about is what are people doing now? You know, what are my competitors doing now? And I actually wrote an article called A Brand Guide to the Metaverse. There's two parts. The part one is benefits and examples. So you can see, scroll down, you can see, okay, what are other brands doing? You can see our virtual showroom, for example, the mall. You can see a virtual, you know, configurator here. You can test Nike try-ons. Balenciaga had built a video game. Louis Vuitton built a video game. So you can start to see what these brands are doing and try them out. Uh, Go into Roblox, experiment there as well. And then, you know, from there, then it's, okay, well, once I know what my competitors are doing, how to get started. And I, I literally wrote this article on how to get started. So you can understand how do I create 3D models? Because that's the backbone of any immersive experience. You can do 3D modeling. We talked about CAD modeling, photogrammetry, LiDAR, consumer LiDAR using your phone. And then, of course, just buying the assets on Sketchfab or Turbo Squid. So there, you know, then game engines, how do you, you know, Unity, Unreal, Metaverse, how do you use them and which one would you use where? So Unreal is for like AAA games and maybe Hollywood movies. Unity is for apps on you know the app stores on your phone. And then Metaverse can be used on the web. So you've got different options for that as well. And then payment systems, avatars, NFTs, all of the stuff. It's all in here. I'll put the link as well. But it's a lot to think about. But I would, th- I would say you need buy-in from the top down. So get your CEO to make a mandate. We're going to be in the Metaverse. We're going to do this. And then from there, you can put the teams in place to do it. But you have to have a mandate from the top or else you're just experimenting and you're never going to go anywhere with anything. You need to uh, think big. What are the big problems you want to solve with it? You need to start small. What are, how can we experiment to get to prove the value can be created? And then you need to scale fast. So think big, start small, scale fast. That's my advice to anybody wanting to use this technology, especially in business. I think that's a universal advice. Think big, start small, scale fast. It's a good rule for startups to live by. Right. Um, Everybody knows about Meta's. I don't know if it's called, if you want to call it a pivot or a rebranding into the metaverse, and they've invested over thirty billion dollars into building that metaverse. Obviously, they're getting a lot of pushback from Wall Street on that. What's happening there under the hood? What do you see coming out of that initiative, and what else is happening from the big players, whether it's Google, Apple, Microsoft, that you are keeping your eye on over the next six to eighteen months? Well, Meta has the most investment into VR, period. They've invested billions of dollars. Now, their investment's hard because you, they're building the next hardware for the next communication medium. So whereas Apple spent their billions of dollars to build the smartphones and became a leader in that, Meta knows they can't compete in the smartphone market. It's too late for that. That medium is sailed. That ship is sailed. What's the next medium? Head-worn devices. Okay, can they own that market? Can they be the dominant? Right now, they have 90% market share. So... Yes, maybe they can, maybe they will. But I wouldn't bet a bit against them at all. You think, you know, Meta is investing billions of dollars in the future. You would think Wall Street would be, you know, praising them 
for thinking long term. But Wall Street thinks in quarterly earnings. They don't think in decade long things. You know, and actually, somebody said something to me. It really stuck with me. A politician is someone who looks to the next election. A statesman is someone who looks to the next generation. And I think Mark Zuckerberg is looking to the next generation of products and what's coming, whereas Wall Street is just looking to make a quick buck over the next short term. So, And this is why Mark Zuckerberg controls Facebook and not Wall Street. He can make these big bets. Now they're punishing him for it by pushing the stock price, but it just means he, you know, he can't do it as fast as, as he wanted to. They let go thousands of people. You think they let them go from the division working on the metaverse? No, they let them go from things that they're not going anywhere, the things that are you know already at scale. You can't make money squeezing. You know when you already have billions of people on your platform, it's incremental revenues at that point. The next thing has to be completely novel. To think systems wide change. Yeah. I can keep geeking out with you for a while, but I want to be respectful of your time. So lightning round, do you think we're getting close to the singularity? Depending on the definition of the singularity, that's hard to say. I think we're entering into almost what I would consider double exponentials of technology growth. Subscribe to a thing called Future Loop. It's futureloop.com. It's uh, Peter Diamandis has a newsletter, comes out every day. You'll see in a week, you'll be like, holy crap, I didn't know half this stuff existed and it's coming out daily. So we're amazing eating that point. We'll check that out. What's your favorite sci-fi book or movie? I really loved The Expanse. That movie blew my mind. I, up until that point, I wasn't really, didn't really care about space all that much because I saw it as something we, you know, way down the road. But watching that, I think, you know, being able to mine asteroids and use industrial manufacturing in space so that we don't mess up this beautiful planet we have, I think this is a huge opportunity. The Expanse really opened up my mind. And Star Star Trek before that was, you know, an avid watcher of that. Then I actually became a board advisor for a rocket company called H-Star Space. So you can look at them as well. Very cool. Last question, what's a day in the life of a futurist? I read probably five to six hours a day. I get all sorts of news feeds fed to me, not like CNN or Fox News or that type of stuff, but like specific around AI, blockchain, XR. I I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn, not just posting stuff because I post stuff every day, but also reading the comments. I learn a lot from because there's very smart people on LinkedIn, you know, the, the smartest people in the world are there, you know, working hard and sharing knowledge on LinkedIn. I spend a lot of time learning from people there. And then writing, I write, you know, a bit and then having meetings as well. There's nothing like being in a room with smart people uh, talking about the future. So, I try to do that as much as possible. Well, I'm enjoying doing that right now. So, thank you so much, Alan. Any final thoughts and how can people reach you? My last thing would be just you know, remember that we're all human and building any technologies, it's really about us, not the technology and not the profit that comes off it. We need to make sure that we build things ethically and with principles. And so I just wish that everybody would uh, would go forth and build these technologies, knowing that they're there to serve us as humans, first and foremost. And then you can reach me at metaverse, M-E-T-A-V-R-S-E.com. You can also go to themall.io. And you can find me on LinkedIn. Unfortunately, I can't connect with you because I've hit the limit. But you can follow me on LinkedIn. I have about almost just shy of 100,000 followers. You can follow me there. And um, I post every single day something interesting on Metaverse. So thank you for I attest to that. I've been following Alan for years and love the content that he's putting out there and sharing. Alan, thank you so much for sharing your time and thank insights you. into this fascinating world. Hope to talk to you soon and wishing you all the best. Amazing. Looking forward to it. Cheers, guys. That's a wrap. Huge thanks to Alan for his time. I learned so much in this conversation and absolutely loved his optimism. The future is now and it's wild. 
a quick correction. I said that ChatGPT reached 100 million users within one month, but it was actually two months. Still, by far, the fastest growing consumer app in history. Are you as excited about this stuff as I am? As always, I'd love to hear your feedback. So hit me up by email at hello at pmfpod.com or find me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Let me know what you think of these technology deep dives and whatever else you think I can do to improve this show. Remember, if you want to win signed copies of Reed Blackman's book, Ethical Machines, Product-Led SEO from Eli Schwartz, and Build What Matters by Rajesh Nerlikar, you've got to leave a review of the pod on Apple Podcasts or wherever you love to listen and share the review on LinkedIn or Twitter, tagging me, at Moshe P. And finally, don't forget to check out growth.co, that's growth without the O.co, if you're considering a fractional CMO for your startup. Until next time, wishing you rocket ship success in your startup journey.